0: Volume 1, Chapter 10, of The Heidenmauer, or The Benedictines, A Legend of the Rhine, by James Fedimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer, by James Fedimore Cooper, Volume 1, Chapter 10. The way is but short, away. Armado. While all must be conscious of the fearful infirmities that beset human nature, there are none so base as not to know that their being contains the seeds of that godlike principle which still likens them to their divine creator. Virtue commands the respect of man in whatever accidental stage of civilization or of mental improvement he may happen to exist, and he who practices its precepts is certain of the respect, though he may not always secure the protection of his contemporaries." As the Count of Leinogen walked down the rich and vast aisle of the Abbey Church, his thoughts vacillated between the impressions produced by the prior and his latent, but still predominant intentions. He might have been likened to one who listened to the counsels of a good and of an evil genius, that exhorting to forbearance and mercy, and this tempting to violence by the usual array of flattering and hopes." While he brooded over the exactions of the community, which were founded on a legal superiority that was alike hurtful to his power and galling to his pride, its manner of thwarting his views and its constant opposition to his supremacy in the valley, motives of enmity that were justly heightened by the dissolute and audacious deportment of too many of its members, the effect of all was secretly opposed by the image of Father Arnoff, surrounded by the mild and noble characteristics of Christian virtue. Emic could not, though he fain would chase from his imagination the impression of meekness, charity, and of self-denial, that a long acquaintance with the monk had made, and which the recent interview had served both to freshen and to render more deep. But a spectacle was prepared to meet his eyes in the court of the convent, that did as much toward weakening this happy influence of the prior, by setting the pride of the noble in opposition to his better feelings, as could have been wished by the bitterest enemy of Limburg. It has been said that the outer wall of the abbey encircled the entire brow of the hill, or mountain on which the convent stood. Though the buildings were spacious and numerous, the size of the little plain on the summit left ample space for exercise and air. Besides the cloisters, which were vast, though possessing the character of monkish seclusion, there were gardens in the rear of the abbot's abode and a court of considerable extent immediately in front of the church. Athwart his court, in which sundry groups of the late congregation yet lingered, was drawn up in military order a band of soldiers, wearing the colors and acknowledging the authority of the Elector Friedrich. The secret signal given by Father Bonifacius when the Count entered the choir had prepared this unwelcome sight for his neighbor. While the men-at-arms leaned on their arquebuses, in grave attention to discipline, the knight of Rhodes and the abbe were occupied in paying their court to the fair wife of the burgomaster of Durkheim and to her scarce fairer daughter. Young Burkhold stood aloof, watching the interview with feelings allied equally to envy and jealousy, a fair morning and a comfortable mass to you, highborn cried the husband and father heartily, but lifting his cap as the noble approached the spot where the burgher stood, waiting for this meeting ere he put foot into stirrup, I had thought the sight of your father's altar was like to cheat me of this honor, and to send me away without a word from your friendly and much prized grace. Between thee and me, Heinrich, this slight could not happen, answered the count, grasping the hand of the burgomaster, which he squeezed with the cordiality and vigor of a soldier." How fareth it with all in Durkheim, that town of my affection, not to say of my right! As you could wish, noble count, and well disposed to the house of Leinogen, in all that pertaineth to love of your name and race, we lack nothing. This is well honest Heinrich. It may yet be better, but thou wilt do me grace this summer morning? Nay, it is for your grace to command in this particular, and for one like me to obey. Ere Heinrich, hast looked look well at these knaves of Friedrich? ha are they not melancholy and ill-disposed at being cooped with benedictines when there are stirring times in the palatinate and when their master hath as much as he can do to hold his court in heidelberg seest thou aught of this emick had dropped his voice and the burgher was not a man to express more in answer than the circumstances actually required he looked eloquently however the exchange of glances between him and the count betrayed the nature of the undertaking that connected the castle and the city "'You spoke of commanding my duty, Mein Herr Graf, and it is fitting I should know in what manner to do you pleasure. "'Nay, tis no pain-giving penance, I ask. Turn my horse's head towards Hartenburg, and share of my poor fare with a loving welcome for an hour or so.' "'I would, were it within compass, my lord count,' returned Heinrich, casting a doubting look toward Meta and his wife." But these Sunday Masses are matters in which the women love to deal, and from the first sound of the matin bell till we shut the gates at even, I scarce call myself master of a thought. By the Virgin, t'would seem ill indeed, did not Hartenburg contain a roof to shelter all of thy name and love? There are noble gentlemen already on your hospitality, and I would not fain name them not. This and the gay doublet that weareth the white cross is but a houseless knight of roads, one that wandereth like the dove from the ark uncertain where to place his foot and he of black vestments and idle abey from among the french who doth little else but prate with the women leave thy female gender in their hands for they are much accustomed to these gallantries zumhenka most nobly born excellence i never doubted their handiness in all idleness But my wife hath little humor for vain attentions of this nature, and not to conceal from my lord any of our humors, I will confess it as little to my pleasure to witness so much ceremony with a woman. Were the well-bred Ermengarde your noble consort in the castle, my female charge might be glad to pay their court to her, but in her absence I doubt that they will cause more encumbrance than they will afford satisfaction. Name it not, honest Heinrich, but leave the matter to me. As for these idlers, I will find them occupation when fairly out of the saddle, so I will not excuse the youngest of thy name. The warm, frank manner of the noble prevailed, though the arrangement was not altogether agreeable to the burgomaster. But in that age hospitality was always of so direct a character as seldom to admit of denial without sufficient excuse. Emic now paid his court to the females. Smoothing his mustache and beard, he saluted the cheeks of Ulrich. With affectionate freedom, and then presuming on his years and rank, he pressed a kiss on the ruby lips of Meta. The girl blushed and laughed and in her confusion, curtsied as if in acknowledgment of the grace from one of so high quality. Heinrich himself, though he so little liked the coquetry of the strangers, witnessed these liberties not only without alarm, but with evident contentment. Many thanks, noble Emick, for this honor to my women, he cried, lifting his bonnet again. Meta is not used to these compliments, and she scarce knoweth rightly how to acknowledge the grace, for to say truth it is not often that her cheek filleth the tickling of a beard. I am no saluter of her sex, and there are none in Durkheim that may so presume. Saint Denis, defend me, exclaimed the Abbe, in what shameful negligence have we fallen, saluting the mild Ulric on the instant and repeating the same ceremony with the daughter, so suddenly as to leave none present time to recover from their surprise. Sir Knight of Rhodes, we appear in this affair as but in different breeding. Hold, cousin of Weiderbach, said Emick laughing while he placed a hand before his kinsman. We forget all this time that we are in the court of Limburg, and that salutations which savor so much of earth may scandalize the holy Benedictines. We wilt a horse and keep our gallantries for a better season. The forward and patient movement of young Burkhold was self-checked, and swallowing his discontent, he turned aside to conceal his vexation. In the meantime, the whole party prepared to mount. Although repulsed in his effort to obtain a salute from the fair girl who had so passively received these liberties from his kinsman and the abbe, the knight of Rhodes busied himself in assisting the damsel upon the crupper of her father's saddle. A similar office was performed for Ulrich by the Count of Lanagen himself, and then the noble threw his own booted and heavy leg across the large and strong-jointed warhorse that was pawing the pavement of the court. The others imitated his example even to the mounted servitors, who were numerous. When doing stately reverence to the large crucifix that stood before them, the whole cavalcade ambled from the court. There were many curious spectators around the outer gate, among whom were sundry of the more humble dependents of Hartenberg, purposely collected there by an order of their lord, in the event of any sudden violence arising from his visits to the abbey, together with a crowd of mendicants. "'Alms, great Amic, alms, worthy and wealthy Burgomaster. "'God's blessing on ye both, and Holy Saint Benedict, heed ye in his prayers. "'We are a-hungered and a-cold, and we crave alms at your honourable hands.' "'Give the rogues a silver pence,' said the Count to the purse-bearer who rode in his train. "'They have a starving look, in sooth. "'These godly Benedictines have, of late, been so busied between their garrison and their masses "'that they have forgotten to feed their poor. "'Come nearer, friend, art thou of Jägerthal?' No, noble count, I come from a pilgrimage to a distant shrine, but want and suffering have befallen me by the way. Hast pressed the monks for charity, or dost thou find them too much engaged in godliness to remember human suffering? Great, count, they give freely, but where there are many mouths to feed, there needs be much gold. I say not against the holy community of Limburg, which is godly in charity as in grace. Give this knave a Kreutzer, growled Heinrich Frey. Hast thou aught to show in the way of authority for undertaking this pilgrimage, and for assailing the elector's subjects and servitors in a public horse path? Not but this illustrious burgomaster, Heinrich his chain of office. Not but the commands of my confessor, and this pass of our own chief men. Call us this not. Thou speakest of a legal instrument of high quality, and it were but a copy of silly rhymes. Hold, thou must not be led into temptation by too much want. Meta wench, the kreutze... Here is a silver pence that may better suit the pilgrim's necessities, father. God keep thee, child. Dost expect to escape want thyself with such prodigality? But stay. There are many of them, and the peace justly distributed might do good. Come nearer, friends. Here is a silver Svanzica, which you will divide honestly into twenty parts, of which two are for the stranger, for to him are we most indebted by the commands of God, and for one each inhabitant of the valley, not forgetting the poor woman that, in your haste and by reason of her years, you have prevented from drawing near. For this boon I ask prayers of you in behalf of the Elector, the city of Durkheim, and the family of Frey. So saying, the Burgomaster pushed ahead and was soon at the foot of the mountain of Limburg. The train of footmen, who had lingered to witness the largesse of the magistrate and who had considered the indifference of Emic as what was no more than natural in one place by providence in a situation so far removed from vulgar wants was about to follow, when a lay brother of the convent touched one of the party on the arm, signing for him to re-enter the court. Thou art needed further, friend, whispered the lay brother. Amuse thyself with these men-at-arms till they retire. Then seek the cloisters." A nod sufficed to tell the lay brother that he was understood, and he immediately disappeared. The follower of Count Emig did as commanded, loitering in the court until the object of the abbot was accomplished. That exhibiting the protection of the elector to his dangerous neighbor and the arquebusers marched to their quarters. The road was no sooner clear than the peasant who had been detained proceeded to do as he had been ordered. In each conventual office of the other hemisphere there is an inner court surrounded by low and contemplative arcades called the cloisters. The term, which is given to the seclusion of monastic life in general and to the objects of the institution itself, in an architectural sense is limited to the secluded and somber piazzas just mentioned. When this part of the building is decorated, as often happens, with the elaborate ornaments of the Gothic style, it is not easy to conceive a situation more happily imagined for the purposes of reflection, self-examination, and religious calm. To us, the Cloisters have ever appeared pregnant with the poetry of monkish existence, and... Protestant as we are, we never yet entered one without feeling the influence of that holy and omnipotent power that is thought to be propitiated by conventual seclusion. In Italy, the land of vivid thought and of glorious realities, the pencils of the greatest masters have been put in requisition to give the cloisters a mild attraction, blended with lessons of instruction that are in strict consonance with their uses. Here are found some of the finest remains of Raphael, of Domenichino, and of Andrea del Sarto and the traveler now enters vaulted galleries that the monks so long paced in religious hope or learned abstraction to visit the most prized relics of art. The dependent of Count Emick had no difficulty in finding his way to the place in question, for, as usual, there was a direct communication between the cloisters of Limburg and the church. By entering the latter and taking the lateral door, which was known to lead to the sacristy, he found himself beneath the arcades in the midst of the touching seclusion described against the walls were tablets with latin inscriptions in honor of different brothers who had been distinguished by piety and knowledge and here and there was visible an ivory or stone that constant monitor of catholic worship the crucifix the stranger paused for a single monk passed the arcade and his mien was not inviting for one who doubted of his reception at least so thought the dependent of Emic, who might easily have mistaken the chastened expression of Father Arnoff's features, clouded as they now were with care for severity. What wouldst thou, demanded the prior, when a turn brought him face to face with the intruder, Reverend Monk, thy much prized blessing, kneel and receive it, son. Thou art doubly blessed in seeking consolation from the church and in avoiding the fatal heresies of the times. The prior repeated the benediction, made the usual sign of grace, and motioned for the other to rise. "'Wouldest thou aught else?' he asked, observing that the peasant did not retire, as was usual for those who received this favor. "'Not, unless yonder brother hath occasion for me.' The face of Siegfried was thrust through the door, which led to the cells. The countenance of the prior changed like that of one who had lost all confidence in the intentions of his companion, and he pursued his way along the arcade. The other glided past and disappeared by the door which he had been covertly invited to enter.' it has already been said that the Benedictine is an order of hospitality. A principal building of the hill was especially devoted to the comforts of the abbot and to those of the travelers. It was always his duty, and in the case of Father Bonifacius, scarcely less often his pleasure to entertain. Here we're some signs of the great wealth of the monastery, though it was wealth chastened by forms and restricted by opinion. Still, there was little of self-denial or indeed of any of that self-mortification which is commonly thought to be the inseparable attendant of the cell. The rooms were wainscoted with dark oak, emblems of religious faith, in costly materials abounded. Nor was there any want of velvet and other stuffs, all, however, of sober colors, though of intrinsic value. Father Siegfried ushered the peasant into one of the most comfortable of these rooms, It was the cabinet of the abbot who, having thrown aside the robes of office, in which he had so lately appeared in the choir, and ungirt and divested of all the churchly pomp, in which he had just shown himself to the people, was now taking his ease with the indolence of a student and with some of the negligence of a debauchee. "'Here is the youth I have named to you, holy abbot,' said Father Siegfried, motioning his companion to advance.' Boniface laid down a parchment-covered and illuminated volume, one but lately issued from the press, rubbing his eyes like a man suddenly roused from a dreamy abstraction. Truly, Brother Siegfried, these knaves of Leipzig have done wonders with their art. Not a word can I find astray or a thought concealed. God knows to what passive information this excess of knowledge so long sacred to the learned may yet lead us. The office of a librarian will no longer be of rare advantages or scarcely of repute. Have we not proofs of the evil in the growing infidelity and in the manifest insubordination of the times? It were better for all their souls and their present repose that fewer did the thinking in this troublesome world. Thou art named Johansson, Gottlob, most reverend abbot, by your leave and with the church's favor. Tis a pious appellation, and I trust thou dost not forget to obey the duty of which it should hourly remind thee. In that particular I can say that I praise God, Father, for all the benefits that I receive, and were they double what they are, I feel that within me, which says I could go on rendering thanks forever for gracious gifts. The answer of Gottlob caused the abbot to turn his head. After studying the demure expression of the young man's face intently, he continued, This is well. Thou art a huntsman in Count Emick's household? His cow heard, holy abbot, and a huntsman in the bargain. For a more scampering, self-losing, trouble-giving family is not to be found in the Palatinate than this of mine. I remember it was a cowherd that dealt a little lightly with my brother Siegfried here in pretending thou wert of Durkheim and not of the castle. To speak fairly to your reverence, there was some business between us. For be it known to you, holy abbot, a cowherd is made to suffer for all the frolics of his beasts. And so I preferred to do penance simply for my own backslidings, without whitewashing the conscience of all Lord Emick's cattle in the bargain. The abbot turned again, and this time his look was still longer and more scrutinizing than before. "'Hast thou heard of Luther? Does your reverence mean the drunken cobbler of Durkheim? I mean the monk of Wittenberg, knave. Though by Saint Benedict thou hast not unaptly named the rebel, for truly doth he cobble that would fain mend the offices or discipline of holy church.' I ask if thou hast sullied thy understanding and weakened thy faith, by lending ear to this damnable heresy that is abroad in our Germany. Saint Benedict and the Blessed Maria keep your reverence in mind according to your deserts. What hath a poor cowherd to do with the questions that trouble the souls of the learned, and cause even the peaceably disposed to become quarrelsome and warlike? Thou hast received a schooling above thy fortune. Art of Jägerthal? Born and nurtured, holy abbot. We are of long standing in the valley, and few families are better known for skill in rearing beeves, or for dealing cunningly with a herd than that of which I come, humble and poor, as I may seem to your reverence. I doubt, but there is as much seeming as reality in this indifferent opinion of thyself, but thou hast had an explanation with brother Siegfried, and we count on thy services. Thou knowest the power of the church, son, and cannot be ignorant of its disposition to deal mercifully with those that do it homage, nor of its displeasure when justly angered. We are disposed to deal in increased kindness with those who do not stray from the fold, at this moment when the devils are abroad scattering the ignorant and helpless. Notwithstanding all you have said, most reverend abbot, concerning the trifle, I have gleaned in the way of education, I am too little taught to understand aught but plain speech." In the matter of a bargain, it might be well to name the conditions clearly, lest the poor but well-meaning youth should happen to be damned simply because he hath little knowledge of Latin, or cannot clearly understand what hath not been clearly said. I have no other meaning than that thy pious conduct will be remembered at the altar and the confessional, and that indulgences and other lenities will not be forgotten when there is a question of thee. This is excellent, holy abbot, for those that may profit by it. But, St. Benedict, help us! Of what account would it all be were Lord Emick to threaten his people with the dungeon and stripes, should any dare to frequent the altars of Limburg, or otherwise to have dealings with the reverend brotherhood? Dost think our prayers or our authority cannot penetrate the walls of Hartenburg? Of that, most powerful Bonifacius, I say nothing, since I never yet profited in the way you mean." The dungeon of Hartenberg and I are not strangers to each other, and were I to speak my most intimate thoughts, it would be to say that St. Benedict himself would find it no easy matter to open its doors, or to soften its pavements, so long as the count was in an angry humor. Potstausend, holy habit, it is well to speak of miracles and of indulgences, but let him who imagines that either is about to make that damp and soul-chilling hole warm and pleasant pass a night within its walls in November... He may enter with as much faith in the abbey prayers as he will, but if he do not come forth with great dread of Lord Emich's displeasure, why he is not flesh and blood, but a burning kiln in the form of mortality. Father Bonifacius saw that it was useless endeavoring to influence the mind of a cowherd in the vulgar manner, and he had to recourse to surer means, motioning his companion to hand him a little casket, externally decorated with many of the visible signs of the Christian faith. He took out of it a purse that wanted for neither size nor weight. The eyes of Gottlieb glistened. Had not the monks been much occupied in examining the gold, they might have suspected that the pleasure he betrayed was a little affected, and he manifested a strong disposition to know the contents of a bag that had so many outward signs of value. "'This will make peace and create faith between us,' said the abbot, handing a golden mark to Gottlieb. Here is which the dullest comprehension can understand, and whose merit, I doubt not, will be sufficiently clear to one of thy ready wit. Your reverence does not overvalue my means, answered the cowherd who pocketed the piece without further ceremony. Were our good mother of the church to take this method of securing friends, she might laugh at all the Luthers between the lake of Constance and the ocean, him of Wittenberg among the number. By some strange oversight, she has of late done more towards taking away the people's gold than towards bestowing. I am rejoiced to find that the mistake is at last discovered, and chiefly am I glad that one poor and unworthy as I has been among the first that she is pleased to make an instrument of her new intentions. The abbot appeared at a loss to understand the character of his agent. But, being a worldly and selfish man himself, he counted rather loosely on the influence of a meditator whose potency is tacitly admitted by all of mercenary propensities. He resumed his seat, therefore, like one who saw little necessity for further concealment, and went directly to the true object of the interview. Thou hast something to communicate from the castle of Hartenburg, good Godlob, If it be your reverence's pleasure to listen. Proceed. Canst tell aught of the force Emic hath gathered in the hold? Mine er abbot, it is no easy matter to count varlets that go staggering about from the moment the sun touches your abbey towers to that in which he sits behind the Teufelstein. Hast thou not means of separating them in divisions and of making the enumerations of each apart? Holy abbot, that experiment hath failed. I divided them into the drunk and the sober, but for the life of me... I could never give them all to be long enough of the same mind to hunt up those that were in garrets and cellars, for while the slept off his debauch that swallowed cup after cup in a manner to recruit the drunkards as fast as they lost, it were far easier to know the Emperor's policy than to count Lord Emek's followers. Still they are many. They are and they are not, as one happens to view soldiership in the way of draining a butt. Duke Friedrich would find them a powerful corps, even in an attack against his Heidelberg Tun, and yet I doubt whether he would think them of much account in the pressing warfare he wageth. Go to, thou art too indirect in thy answers for the duty thou hast undertaken. Return the gold if thou refusest the service. "'I pray thee, Reverend Abbot, to remember the risks I have already run in this desperate undertaking, and to consider that the trifle you have so munificently bestowed is already more than earned by the danger of my ears to say nothing of great loss of reputation and some pricking of conscience.' "'This clown is tampered with thee, Father Siegfried,' said the Abbot in a tone of reproach to the attending monk. "'He even dares to make light of our presence and office.' We have the means of recalling him to his respect, as well as to a remembrance of his engagements. Thou sayest true, let the remedies be applied, but hold. During this brief colloquy between the Benedictines, Father Siegfried had touched a cord, and a lay brother of vigorous frame showed himself. At a signal from the monk, he laid a hand on an arm of the unresisting Gottlieb, and was about to lead him from the room when the last words of the abbot and another signal from Father Siegfried caused him to pause. Bonifacius leaned a cheek on his hand and mused long on the policy of the step he was about to take. The relations between the abbey and the castle to adopt diplomatic language were precisely in that awkward state in which it was almost as hazardous to recede as to advance. To imprison a vassal of the Count of Hartenberg might bring matters to an immediate issue, and yet to permit him to quit the convent was to deprive the Brotherhood of the means of extracting the information it was so important to obtain, and to procure which had been the principal inducement of attaining the debauch, already described, at a moment when there was so little real amity between the revelers. The precaution of Emick had frustrated this well-laid scheme, and the result of the experiment had been too costly to admit of repetition. There was also hazard in permitting Gottlieb to return to Hartenberg for the expectations and hostile spirit of the abbey had been so unadvisedly exposed to the hind as to render it certain he would relate what had occurred. It was desirable, too, to maintain an appearance of confidence, although so little was felt. For the monk well knew that next to friendship its apparent existence was of account in preventing the usual expedients of open hostility. Agents were at Heidelberg, pressing the elector on a point of the last concern to the welfare of the Brotherhood, and it was particularly material that Emick should not be driven to any overt act before the result of this mission was known. In short, these two little powers were in a condition similar to that which some greater communities have been known to exist, instinctively alive to the opposing character of their respective interests, and yet tampering with the denouement because neither was yet prepared to proclaim all it wished, meditated, and hoped to be able to attain." In the meantime, there was an ostensible courtesy between the belligerent parties, occasionally obscured by bursts of natural feeling, which, in politics, the world calls bonhomie, but which would, perhaps, be better termed by the frank designation of artifice. The abbot was so much accustomed to this sort of politic reflection that all these considerations passed before his mind in less time than we have consumed in enumerating them. Still the pause was salutary, for when he resumed the discourse he spoke like one whose decision was supported by thought. Thou wilt tarry with us a little, Gottlieb, for the good of thy soul, he said, making the sign that was understood by his inferiors. A thousand thanks, humane and godly abbot. Next to the present good of my body, I look with most concern to the future condition of my poor soul. And there is great comfort and consolation in your gracious words. It is but the soul of a poor man. But being my all in the way of souls, it must needs be taken care of. The discipline we meditate will be healthful. Brothers lead the penitent to his cell. The singular indifference with which Gottlob heard his doom might have given the abbot motive for reflection, had he not been so much occupied by other thoughts. As it was, the hind accompanied the lay brother without resistance, and indeed without the manner of one who appeared to think he was a gainer. By this especial notice from the community of Limburg. So natural and easy was the air of Gottlob, as they took the direction of a gloomy corridor, that Father Siegfried began to believe he had employed an agent whose mind, shrewd and peculiar, as it seemed at times, was, in truth, subject to moments of more than usual imbecility and dullness. He placed the cowherd in a cell, pointed to a crucifix, its only article of furniture, and without deeming it necessary even to secure the door, retired. End of Volume 1 Chapter 10 Read by Joel Kendrick.